Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. This is our second episode in a three-part trilogy dedicated to Kai Win Adami, and this week we're looking at her time as Kai. You had a lot to, you, you warned me that you had a lot to say. This is the, the Kai Win I find the most interesting. Mm. Because uh, previous to now, she's sort of a thorn in the side of our, our, our team and ambitious. That, that's, those are her two character traits. <laughs> Annoying and ambitious. And after this, she gets embroiled in nonsense. <laughs> and it, it's really sort of character assassination coming, coming up. Get ready for, for part three. Yeah. But here, she has a more well-rounded character. She, uh, she has some facets to her, and I find that very refreshing. I particularly love with Shakar, which is our first look at her as Kai and holding power. She's not only Kai, but she's suddenly first minister, and we see the return of the Kira win double act, good cop, bad cop uh, position until Kira basically goes, wait, I don't want to be a cop. <laughs> wait, this is terrible. <laughs> I hate rounding up my friends. What if we're the baddies? <laughs> I mean, Shakar is, so Shakar himself, no. <laughs> Just no. And again, again with the... <laughs> why Why are all of Kira's friends and potential love interests so boring? <laughs> I quite like Shakar in his first episode, but as soon as he becomes a love interest for Kira, he becomes much less interesting and basically stops having a perspective of his own, which I think is partially a sexist idea of what female audiences want in a love interest for a female character and also just straight up misogyny the idea that dating Kira is emasculating right and it's a real shame because he seems like you know a politician who can handle himself is an interesting type of character and he could have been really cool when we first meet him the i the potential for uh, someone that knew Kira in her, pre, you know, pre-canon, scrappy resistance fighter days, mm. and having that that sort of background with her is very intriguing. But honestly, I again, I just start falling asleep <laughs> when anything actually comes of it. Like I, I like um, the dinner scene with the the group you know the let's let's get the band back together again and they're sort mm. of all sniping each other and they're obviously Black Widow came out many years later but <laughs> it's very reminiscent of the the foursome in Black Widow who are also they're all in different places and they've all gone different pathways and Natasha like Kira the, has gone to the Federation slash Avengers and, mm. and, you know, sort of sold, sold out in a way that the others 
they sort of admire and disrespect it at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I really wish we'd gotten to see more of that dynamic for Kira in general. Exactly. Because it's such a contrast with her life on the station and her friendships on the station. And I really wish we'd gotten to see more of Shakar versus Wynne and the internal politics of Bajor after he becomes first minister. Because just as he could have been an amazing partner for Kira, he could have been an amazing foil for Wynne. And again... We just don't see any of that. Uh, Shakar is a good guy and therefore he is pro-Federation and therefore we really don't need to see the politics because he already agrees with our heroes. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I just described these rebels as reminiscent of Black Widow. So why are they so pro-Federation slash America? (laughs) Right. They they just wouldn't be. It doesn't make sense to me. It's an interesting and frustrating episode and... I wish, as with all DS9, that we just had more about Bajor in its own right. But I do love that we see that Wynne is completely incapable of compromise. She wants power, but she's actually very bad at utilising it. I also really like her turn when when Kira comes in and, uh, you know, they do this whole, well, we're going to compromise, mm. <laughs> fake out. That is, it is super obvious to the audience, at least to me, yes. <laughs> that Wynn is yes. is 0% on board with this compromise, <laughs> that Wynn is, is going to immediately go stab Carrie in the back. Like, it's just it's very clear in in Louise Fletcher's presentation <laughs> that, yes. that none of that is yes. true. Nothing she's saying is, is reality. And yet Kira is surprised. <laughs> I really love how blatantly, not evil, but uh, maybe villainous, <laughs> Kai mm. Win is in that moment, and Kira still doesn't catch on until they're arrested. <laughs> and she's like, hey, wait a minute! She's arresting us! It's, it's an interesting juxtaposition between Kai Win, who has so much confidence in her power and her correctness that she shows her hand completely, again, to at least the audience, if not Kira. Yeah. And yet Kira still has this sort of, like, despite being a scrappy resistance fighter for all these years, I you know, maybe the Federation is making her soft or something or making her believe in something <laughs> that uh, isn't quite there yet. But, but she is, is, remains surprised, both by her friends and by Kaiwin. I think Kira really wants to believe that Bajorans are all as good as she is. And even though she knows and has known for a couple of years now that Wynne is not entirely on the level, she wants to believe in Wynne. She has this whole conversation with Odo in this very episode where... She's like, you and I are the only people who don't trust Kai Win. But she does. Like, my precious, precious Kira, I love this about her. It's so contradictory and yet consistent with how she wants the world to be. And I just have to well actually myself, because I said that Shakar was our first look at Win after she becomes Kai, but I totally forgot about Life Support, the episode where Ved- where Vedic Bar- Baril dies. 
Yeah. Uh, we didn't watch uh, that one because who cares? Yeah, look, I kept meaning to and I kept meaning to and then I was reading this really interesting book that I couldn't put down. But basically that episode, we learned that Boreal has spent a lot of time negotiating a peace treaty with the Cardassians and when he's injured... Wynne takes over negotiations. After his death, she takes credit for the whole thing and basically says Boreal would have wanted it this way. And so this episode, a season later, opens with Kira mourning for Boreal, which, okay, I guess, and Wynne is like, oh, you're still sad about that? That's so cute. That's so cute. <laughs> I was so entertained. Because like Wynne, when it opens with Kira being sad about Boreal, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Kira, and I'm sorry to Bri, but I started, like, laughing. I was, I was like, oh, yeah, Bri died. <laughs> and, and, and we didn't even take the time to watch it. What were we talking about before we had that? You were talking about Shakar and Kai Wynn. I was talking about how Shakar, the episode Shakar starts with Vedic Barai, or starts oh, with yes. Kira mourning oh, Vedic Barai, and how it made me laugh because I'm a terrible person. It was very, hey guys, we're ready to move for Kira to move on. Like it was signaling to the audience yes, it, that they should be thinking of this new bloke in a romantic capacity. I think. Talking just about Wynne, I think what's most interesting about this episode is her inability to compromise and the fact that, like many conservatives, uh, particularly conservative women, she perceives any pushback or criticism or disagreement as a personal attack. And that is obviously bad and not what you want in a leader, but again, her primary experience of power is totalitarian. Yes, she very much has that uh, conservative wo mm. white woman mm. on a power trip <laughs> type attitude so that anyone pushed back to the point of like saying, maybe you're saying this, maybe you could say this yes. in a better way. Like something really yes. simple as I don't necessarily even disagree with you, but is this the best way to get your message across? That is also an attack. Like the tamest mm. thing is an attack. And so when someone actually disagrees with her, then it's like they're a mortal enemy and I have to raise an army. To yeah, yeah. Which is terrible, but it really just, just makes sense for her and for Bajor. And it's interesting that we know a lot about the elections for Kai and the campaigning for that. And then the election for first minister is just... <laughs> something that takes place off screen and i think it's because the religious right. system was allowed to persist under the cardassians even if in a very limited and controlled way whereas they haven't had democracy for 50 years and so bajorans are simply out of practice at campaigning and choosing a leader right and i just want to uh, just because again i, I i'm a mm. terrible person I also laughed when the first minister died off screen and Kira couldn't, couldn't like, try to so hard to say something nice about it. And it was so difficult. There wasn't anything. It's like, well, he was a guy. It was, it was just very entertaining to me. I love that in this highly political Star Trek show, 
politics is still sort of an afterthought. They, yeah, an afterthought. That's exactly that's that they're not actually putting any efforts <laughs> into anything other than what they are like the story right now. Like in this episode, it is important that Kai Win wants to be first minister, and this is how she is portraying that. Like that's important, mm. but anything about what that job even entails or <laughs> why it would be okay for the Kai and the first minister to be the same person. Like none of that is, is a part of the story at all. It's mm-hmm. not investigated. It's, it's not important. Right. Kira is the only one who seems to have an intrinsic problem with basically the Pope becoming the prime minister of Italy. It's a little bit strange. A little bit strange. Mm. But again, they don't have the culture of democracy. It's been completely wiped out. I think older Bajorans probably remember that time. But you look at the way society has changed in the 20 years since 9-11, or even in the mumble, I'm bad at maths years since Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. Think of what's been changed and what's been lost since then. Absolutely. It really makes sense to me that Bajor struggles with this, and that's why they shouldn't be joining the Federation yet. They are not ready. They haven't figured out their own culture and civilization. They haven't figured out how they're going to do their own government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I almost wish that we had had a subplot about the election for First Minister and arguments about whether or not the Federation needs to send in observers the way the United Nations does. That would have been interesting because I don't know if you're aware of this, but in other countries we joke about sending UN observers in to American elections. There's the the sense of something could go wrong here and we could do something to prevent that versus this is actually kind of insulting to the, the country whose political process is being observed. Right. Both things can be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would have been really interesting. But I think that that is another, I'm going to say deficit or flaw, but it's another instance of the Star Trek universe not thinking about this. Mm. (laughs) The Federation can't send someone to watch the election of Bajor because we never hear about how the Federation president is elected. They just show up and say, hey, I'm the president of the Federation. We are generously assuming that the Federation is a democracy. (laughs) Right. That stuff is just not important to the story that they're telling. And it's interesting because both here in Deep Space Nine and also like later in Discovery and also in some of the... uh, the original series movies, politics are actually, and like, and how the government works is actually a plot point, and yet we still don't right. talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I have always assumed that the Federation has some sort of representative democracy where each planet has a representative, and maybe there are two houses, like a lower house for each species, and then an upper house which is much larger for each planet. But who knows? How is the president elected? Directly or by representative? No idea. No one has told us. <laughs> we don't know. It's so sad because I think, I think this is a really interesting set of questions. And I understand why in the 60s when 
America could sort of take its political system for granted. Gene Roddenberry wasn't interested in any of this. But nowadays, it really feels like a deficit. I mean, I definitely get the uh, sort of the, you know, the Gene's vision people would say that there aren't two or more parties in the utopian future of Star Trek because everybody gets along and, and there's never any conflict. It is difficult for me to imagine a political system that doesn't rely to some extent on party politics, but I understand like the founding fathers did not want parties to, to be a thing. I'm sure that there is a way to do that, but at the same time I feel like you are going to get factions. You are going to get the let's rescue the Romulan faction and the hey let's just let the Romulans die because they're really dangerous faction. Stuff like that. The do we wipe out the founders or do we maybe not do a genocide faction. I like to think that there is some sort of civilian government oversight of Section 31. I realise that might be a fantasy, but... You know, I I think that they there is, but if Section Thirty One is like any covert op storyline mm. that I've ever seen, they ignore the authority <laughs> and do whatever they want anyway. Or the civilian oversight is just as much into the shady nonsense yeah. as just yeah. as corrupt. Yeah. Yes, this is a thing that I've been saying since season one of Discovery and the war without, the war within. It was not Katrina Cornwell who gave the ultimate order for the destruction of Kronos. That had to come from the Federation Council and probably the president. And she should have refused it as an illegal order, but... Not to, like, talk about Katrina Cornwell, (laughs) but... Oh, oh. I think that it is pretty clear in that episode that Sarek and Cornwell present the option to Federation people. I don't know who they yes. are, but the remain and they're and they also have just lost a lot of them. So like, is yeah. it the remains of the Federation people that they are presenting to, and they agree to this plan? All of them. Absolutely. It's interesting that Sarek does not bear responsibility in the eyes of fandom in the same way. And when it's very clear that it was like he got the idea from the Emperor and then he brought it to to the Federation and to Starfleet. It's like Sarek was actually the the motivation here. He was the start. Cornwell was about the let's go in and hit the military targets plan which is acceptable in a time of war. And the other thing is, our good friend Robert April had to have been part of the chain of command that gave that order. No! I'm sorry. I'm, like, so I'm happy because I now. love him and now he's problematic and I love him more, but... <laughs> he's just out here ruining Strange New Worlds for us. <laughs> I think I'm making it better. I was going to say, actually... <laughs> I think you're making it better too. Mm. But in terms of middle-aged women who make terrible decisions, I think Kat is obviously in a better position than Wynne because she does back down when she's confronted with a better argument. Right. And Wynne is not capable of that because Wynne has probably never seen it done. Not by anyone who lived. Right. And, and that's the thing is that when you are someone who has has been powerless for 60 years 
Mm. When you when you finally get power, you're going to cling to it. You're you're going yes. to and you're going to want more and you're going to never want to feel that way again. Right. I've been talking about Bejor in the abstract, but also Win as a person needs power to feel safe as an individual. Right. It's a trauma response. Yes. Maybe as well as election observers, the Federation should be sending in therapists. I'm just putting that out there. What does the Federation do when they come onto these war-torn societies that have been... Literally everyone on Bajor has been traumatized. And there is no discussion of that. Even in Kira post-series, Nana Visitor has talked a lot about how uh, she was actually going through post-traumatic stress, the, the character of Kira, and that that yeah. even helped her as an actress and as a person um, understand her own traumas and trauma responses. But, like, that didn't even occur to her until afterwards. It's a product of it being made in the 90s when we were less aware of trauma and also trauma was not the B-plot of every single media product out there. The trauma is all there, but they weren't aware that they were writing it. Yeah, and we just weren't talking about it. It's obviously there, and and so that's why you can go and see it now. And that's why I can absolutely... I'm not, like, it's not glib. (laughs) I believe that it is a trauma response Mm. that we are seeing in Win that she is actually incapable of backing down because of everything that she's gone through. And it makes her yeah. more of a villain. And that's why she's so interesting to me. No, I agree. Because she only had to pivot a little to become a better person. And on that note, let's talk about Rapture. Which, really, she doesn't appear much as Kai in, in Deep Space Nine. She casts a long shadow over this series, but mm. she's not in it very much. And I think Rapture is her best episode. Absolutely. It's definitely my favourite yeah. of my favourite appearance for her because we get to see different sides to her. We get to see those facets that I brought up when I was introducing this, why this part of Kai Wynn is the most interesting to me. Is yeah, that she's yeah. not a one-note she actually goes through a little mini arc in this episode. I was going to say this episode is where she has character growth. And that's that's what you want. I mean, in Deep Space Nine has such a, a giant cast of characters. There are so many people they do. in Deep Space Nine that obviously uh, not everyone is going to get the same treatment and the same ability to, to have a character arc and to have that kind of growth. And up until this point... Kai Wynn, again, was mostly just annoying and an antagonist. And here we got to see her coming to terms almost with, oh, I've been an antagonist to the emissary and all this time, and and that maybe that wasn't the best way to be. (laughs) Oops. But she really has to struggle with it because she firmly believed. She thought she knew. (laughs) She thought she understood. Mm. And like many conservatives, she defined herself by what she's fighting against. And so if she's not fighting against the emissary, then who is she and where does that leave her? And to be honest, we don't really get a satisfying answer. Mm Mm-mm. 
but the journey to bring her to that point is so great because yes she's not an antagonist to Cisco she is his ally as he tries to uncover the secrets of this lost Bajoran city but she is an antagonist to Jake Cisco as Cisco's search begins to harm him and Jake has to make the choice of whether to basically cut this link with the prophets and I think Jake made the right choice frankly but I understand why Wynne disagreed. Well, Cisco also disagreed, so... Yes, that's true. That's one of the other things that's so interesting, is that, yeah, she pivots from antagonist to ally. Like, we see it. <laughs> we see it happen yeah. with, with her in, in the middle of the, of the episode, and I really, like, I really like when he doesn't show up at the ceremony... And she is the is the only person there who's sort of saying, really, he should be here. <laughs> we, yes. Like, yes, we can start without him, but that that might not be the the, the right choice. Like she uh, she goes along with it, but it's not what she wants. And she is as formidable an ally as she is an enemy. And I wish we'd gotten to see more, more of, that. of that because. This is more for our episode three, but when she's offering to organize Cisco's wedding, I was like, this woman is terrifying and I love her. <laughs> <laughs> I think that anyone, we would all, well, obviously we'd all want Jake to make the choice to, to help Cisco. Mm. And that that is on you know, sort of a meta level or a uh, big picture level or a top-down level, we can see that that's the right choice. Like, it's there's no yes. question. <laughs> the audience isn't sitting here going, oh, I wonder if we should let Cisco die or not. <laughs> that's not what we're supposed to be asking ourselves. But there is a metaphysical question in if, it ha if they had made the other choice, if they had let it happen... Would he have transformed into something else? Would he have recovered on his own or with the help of the prophets? Like, are we certain that death would have been the outcome? And are we certain that death wouldn't have been what, he, what should have happened? Like, there, there are these interesting questions. Uh, again, mm. going back to our first episode and with Keiko and, and Wynne's first appearance... There are these questions of faith and religion versus science and medicine. And where I am firmly on the side of, I'm not religious, but <laughs> it's, you know, I think that confronted with a medical decision, it's like, even if you are religious, and again, I'm saying this as someone who is not, but I feel like, God gave you a doctor. God Why? gave you the medicine. God gave you the cure. And so, you know, that's the way, like, how do you know that that, that isn't what should, you should be doing? Yeah. I'm, I'm... And the other thing is that I don't really trust the prophets here. Because <laughs> one thing that's very clear in this episode is that Jake does not want to lose his father to the prophets. And how does the series end? Jake loses his father to the prophets. Right. This... The prophets, the ultimate villains of this series, yes. win. 
watching the the scene with you know Jake's decision and particularly with Cassidy and how Cassidy comes back like that we she's been mm. gone for six months because she was in prison and the two of them holding on to each other making the decision to help Cisco and and bring him back to them is so heartbreaking <laughs> knowing yes. that they they don't that they don't win in the end that they don't get to keep him that the prophets are going to take him anyway yeah it's like the visitor it's a good episode but it's completely ruined by the fact that the same thing ultimately happens to Cisco and Jake that Jake is going to spend the rest of his life waiting for his father to appear justice for the Cisco family but take it back to Wynn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode where she articulates her argument against the, joining the Federation. And it is exactly what I've been saying all along, because I watched this episode a few weeks ago, that Bajor simply isn't ready and five years of independence is not enough to recover from the occupation. And I completely agree with her and her joy and her relief when Cisco ultimately agrees with her and, and pulls Bajor back mm -hmm. is amazing. I love it. And I love that Starfleet is the antagonist in this episode. It's the best. Starfleet is often the antagonist. <laughs> and I think we That's forget true. that. We for, like Because we have this whole we are Starfleet cult <laughs> um, yes. uh, aspect uh, you know as fans we are conditioned to believe that they're on the side of good it's like our crew is on the side of good and we're fighting against Starfleet but it's because something has corrupted Starfleet not because Starfleet is corrupt mm. whereas mm. I believe actually Starfleet is corrupt <laughs> 20% of their admirals are evil and they were yes. all possessed by nubbin bugs. But I love it when it is blatant and I have my, my mm. little Indiana Jones meme here <laughs> because it's so interesting to me that Kira, Cisco, and Wynn have different but similar reactions to the, you know, the artifact itself, the, the mm. map, and then the story, and then Cisco being able to fulfill the prophecy, and yes. the discovery of this lost city. Like all of those those different parts, they are both. They are all sort of. They have this you know faith reaction to it, and and this this cultural excitement about it that is personal. Like they all, they all have a personal relationship with the prophets, and so they have a per personal relationship with the mystery and the discovery. Whereas yeah. Starfleet, one hundred percent, is looking at it like <laughs> we dug up some rocks, and they're pretty cool rocks from an ancient civilization, and you know we should we should put a little fence around this and have everybody come and look at it because, you know, as if it was a, a exciting cultural museum, but they do not mm. have any connection to what it actually is or what it represents. They just, it's like, it's cool that it happens and it's great for the Bajorans to have this cultural history, but they only see it as cultural history, not as actually related to Bajor's culture or their belief system. 
Or their, their contemporary lives. Oh, yeah, or their contemporary lives at all. And we see this in the very first scene where Dax is intrigued and politely curious. And she is in no way disrespectful and she is much more interested in the Bajoran perspective than the Admiral later on. But she is very much, oh, this is nice. While the others are very, very genuinely and emotionally and spiritually engaged. Right. It's interesting that this comes up in the wake of the death of the Queen, which being in a Commonwealth country has been a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, and I think this is happening in Commonwealth countries around the world, a lot of colonised peoples are going, hey, so while we're just talking about the British Empire for no reason in particular, have you considered maybe changing some of your attitudes towards your former colonies? And, you know, we joke about the British Museum and how it's just a collection of stolen artefacts from around the world. And the jokes about how the Queen's body should be stuffed and put in an Aboriginal Australian museum. As has happened to the remains of far too many Indigenous Australians. And, and I don't want to say that Starfleet is the British Empire. They're certainly not that evil. But they are an empire and they are hoovering up other other civilizations and adding them to their collection. Right. And we still don't get a good argument for the for Bajor to join the Federation beyond we want them to and it's convenient for us. Starfleet doesn't articulate why they want Bajor to be and it's interesting because I, I again I haven't watched it all in order in a long time, so I hmm. don't remember if there is more to this, but it's interesting that at the beginning of the episode and when they decide, they're like, the Federation has finally voted that, that Bajor is going to join the Federation, we're going we're gonna to offer membership to Bajor, and I was mm. sort of like, hmm, I wonder why they, like, I wonder why it took so long, quote unquote, you know, again, it's only like five years, so it's not actually long. And it's it's just sort of interesting that there maybe was pushback, but again, we don't see it, or at least not that I recall. Yeah, and it's again that party politics thing. You know, is there a faction in the Federation Council going, maybe we should just be their ally for another few decades mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. let them recover? Maybe even planets and, and civilizations who have had similar experiences to the Bajorans and speak from that history. I'm glad that the Federation is not extending membership to the Cardassians. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, that was good. Good choices. But it's also, I feel like maybe there was a faction who thinks that, that they should have gone that way instead. Like, I can just imagine there being these arguments. Well, the Cardassians are part of the Federation within a fairly short span of time. Right. I can't was it a Picard era map where we saw that? So, like, what happens? guys, <laughs> the Federation, just, like, just slow your roll, Federation. I, I, when slow I think that, well, you just said that um, the Federation is not the British Empire, but at the same time, they are going around all of space collecting people yeah. into their empire. It happens with the Klingons, it happens with the Cardassians, and we're starting it with the Romulans. 
it's not even just the easy people, like the poor Bajorans, who were conquered already. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the, the Federation, like the, the cynical version of what's happening mm. here is that the Federation is swooping in and, and scooping up this planet for themselves because it's, there's no, they don't have the ability to fight them off because they already expended all their energy fighting off the bad guys. Right, right. And I can see arguments for Bajor to join the Federation. For example, not that we ever hear about elections in the Federation, but being able to vote in those hypothetical elections Mm -hmm. and having a, a voice on the council to argue for their rights would probably be of benefit to Bajor. But at the same time, at what cost? We've, we've had Klingon extremists who are concerned that allying with the Federation will weaken and destroy the Klingon Empire. And it's kind of true. Like, they, they come to a ceasefire with the Federation because Katrina Cornwell and Michael Burnham installed a puppet government in the form of Laurel. And a century later... The Federation installs Gowron. The Federation assassinates Gowron. Like, no offence to the Klingon Empire. A lot of this they've sort of done to themselves. But guys, did you notice that you've kind of been conquered? That is so embarrassing for you. And don't get me wrong, I love that the Federation is doing this shady stuff and, and no one even notices. But at the same time, it's a bit like the United States in South South America. It's like uh, when, when I'm a Jedi critical. I, yes. I love that, that the Jedi are terrible. It's my favorite thing about them. <laughs> and another uh, interesting tidbit about the Federation and their treatment of Bajor is in Voyager, we learn from Tal Salas that there was a push to get a lot of Bajorans into Starfleet. Yeah. That's a little weird, okay? <laughs> I just want to put it out there that having this, you know, we're going to let you in, not be, you know, because you deserve to be here. Like, it's, it's, I'm not opposed to reaching out a hand to a marginalized population. That's great. But it seems calculated. It doesn't seem like it's for... Bajor or for Tal Salis, it seems like it's for the for Starfleet. Like it's it's a weird backwards thing. In the context of Voyager, look, watching the series, I've noticed it has a serious racism problem where it's very much engaged in the debates of the 1990s and on the wrong side. And so I feel with Tal Salis, someone and I want to guess it was Brandon Braga, was making a comment about affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And look at this poor, unqualified Bajoran who was put into a job she isn't good at. However, setting that aside, within the context of the Federation, what it looks like is also... You know that thing Bon Appetit did where they were getting criticised for having mostly white people in their videos? So they rounded up as many staff members of colour as they could and just put them in the background? That's how it feels. Recruiting Bajorans so that they can say, look how diverse we are. Right, right, exactly. That's what I mean by a calculated decision 
for the mm. benefit of Starfleet, not for the yes. benefit of Bajor, Bajorans, or Talisellus. <laughs> it just seems no. like they're they're doing this formula backwards instead of what you really do is you recruit Talisellus and then you give her all of the required, you know, it's, it's again, you know, not to be Jedi critical again, mm-hmm. but if you're going to put Anakin Skywalker into your Jedi Order at nine years old without any of the foundation that all, every other Jedi had, then you have to, you have to bend over backwards to give him that foundation. You have to give him more attention, more help, more tutors, and you have to uh, make it easier for him. Right. It's not a, a, a separate but equal <laughs> type thing here. <laughs> We're no, no. Equity, not equality. So, given all of that extra context yes. from Sister Show, mm-hmm. Kaiwin is not wrong <laughs> to no. find the Federation shady, to, to believe that they don't have Bajor's best interests at heart, and that they have an agenda that is about the Federation, not about Bajor. Yeah, no, I think she is completely right about that. And apparently even the prophets agree. In part, you know, they're looking at this non-linearly and something, something, the Dominion and whatever. But... (laughs) Something, something, the Dominion. I know that the reason they want Bajor to remain independent is so that it's, it will survive the war, but still, you know, even, even in the longer term than that, I like to think, I don't know, I can't speak for the prophets, I don't like them. Everything that happens to win, the prophets allowed. Yeah, I mean, this is again going to be something that we discussed in episode three, but it's weird how much the prophets don't like her. Yeah. Because I don't really see... Yes, she is ambitious. Yes, she wants power for herself. And yes, she is overly conservative. Mm. But it just feels targeted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, you, when you're thinking of these prophets slash wormhole aliens... Who lift up Cisco and really beat down Kai Win? They had time, and I will rant about this again in two weeks. Don't worry. They had time for the Grand Nagus, but they don't have time for Win. And all she's ever done is believe in them. Right. I mean, I, I guess there's an argument to be made that she uses the prophets. Or the the concepts of the prophets for her own gain, but that's not the whole story for her. Right. It's not like she doesn't believe in them. She does believe no. in them and also uses them for her own gain. And I don't want to be too cynical, but I feel like to an extent that's what all religious leaders do. Like, however sincere their faith, and I do believe that most religious leaders do have a sincere faith, there is always that element of what I want conforms with what God wants. Maybe that is too cynical. No, I don't. I think I'm going to let it stand. I just, I just think it's interesting. Kaiwin is a villain for everyone. 
<laughs> the Bajorans yeah. don't like her, the Cardassians don't like her, the Prophets don't like her, and the Federation don't like her. And I just wonder why. Yeah, me too, because obviously she's she's a terrible person, but she really reminds me of my mum. And I've had some people say that maybe I like Kai Wynn because I don't understand how awful white American church ladies can be. But my mum was literally a pro-life activist and right-wing Catholic politician. So, like, before she retired. So... And I do want to say, there it is suggested that she has some part... Like, you said that Kira says we're the only people who don't like her. I don't think that's true either. Like, because... The only reason she got put into power in both cases was because so, there was some scandal with somebody else. Like, she she was the, we'll take her, because at least we know, mm. we you know, she's the, the devil we know. I guess it's, it's sort of like Liz Truss becoming prime minister. There is literally no one better. Right. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, so, yeah, they, these are just questions that we can um, look forward to yelling about next time because they are not answered in any positive way (laughs) no and her last appearance as kai before the fall is in in the cards and i have to confess that i did not rewatch that but as i recall even though she is by this point allied with cisco and completely on his side she's still there as an antagonist and as an annoying figure And she has some sort of interaction with Jake that he gets told off for being undiplomatic about, but no one remembers that whole disagreement they have about whether or not Cisco should die. I know people are very fond of the let's have an episode of shenanigans format of Mm -hmm. a season, but Mm -hmm. I hate it. And I really resent that we had to take time out from the tension of the war to have these shenanigans. Right, and I, I, yeah, I don't have anything much to, like, say, add to that. I, I just want to reiterate that Jake is in the right, <laughs> and the Prophets hate him too, <laughs> and it's just they not do. fair. <laughs> the Prophets are personally victimizing Jake Sisko, and I think are. we should talk about that. And, and also, just as a, a non-Kai comment, uh... I really love the relationship between Jake Sisko and Cassidy Yates. Oh, yes. And I, I you know, where's my spinoff of that? <laughs> <laughs> I want the Jake and Cassidy and, and Baby, who is now an adult. But yes. <laughs> that, like, if anyone is ever going to show up on, these, on, the, on the future shows, uh, that's what I want. I really want Baby Sisko and their big brother and and uh, and Cassidy because I love that family. I want Sky P. Marshall to play baby Cisco. Uh, I don't actually know if she's the right age, but I don't care. I don't <laughs> uh, yeah, but also I don't care because, because it would be great. Yes. And if Avery Brooks ever wanted to return to Star Trek, I would be okay with that too. The other uh, thing that happens in Rapture is that Kira and Wins come to, you know, having been so antagonist, you know, they were, they were, when they started, mm-hmm. they sort of got along, and then 
they had a really antagonist and and win betrayed Kira on multiple occasions and, and, and also tried her. to assassinate someone <laughs> and, and and used her on multiple occasions in a way she, that, that was even more of a betrayal and yet Kira and Win are able to have an adult conversation there where they they both see something in the other that is yes that they hadn't been able to see or hadn't been able to acknowledge maybe yes and it's not just because win makes it clear to kira that she too suffered physically during the occupation even when when win is arriving on the station they're having this conversation about joining the federation and it's very much a we disagree and we both know we disagree and we're going to have a really enjoyable time arguing about it there's a level of respect delightful. that they have yes. that they have earned at this point, and I mm. think I, I, again that's another thing that I just want more of that. I want yeah. more of I disagree with Kaiwin entirely, but also I understand that she has a perspective, and I want to discuss that with her, and and maybe we can come to some sort of compromise, or maybe we can agree to do, disagree. Um, or maybe I have to imprison her and, and, and take all of the power away from her, but do it because we've come to this, this agreement in, rather than because the script told me to. I regret to say that we are not going to get any of that <laughs> in Wynne's final episode. I'm just saying, this could have gone really well. Like, but imagine the version of things where... Kai Win it has that whole Ducat stuff, but then realizes that he's the worst and and teams up with Kira to take mm. out Ducat. Like, where's that story? Imagine a scenario where the writers of Deep Space Nine respected female characters. <laughs> I just I just think that there are some really amazing matriarchal ways this could have gone that we instead Every woman is, is thrown under the bus at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Including ones that died in the first episode. It's just... <laughs> what, what is going on? And also poor Jake Sisko. <laughs> All the women and the young black man. Yeah, shocking. Okay, it's... And the older... And his black father. Yeah. Whew. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr, oh, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod. Instagram's actually the most fun. You should follow us there. And write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell your friends. Join us in two weeks when we will be discussing Wind's Fall and probably shouting about rape culture quite a lot. So much. We have a thesis. (laughs) Oh yeah.